Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is On The Left Side, your weekly dose of football funny. And I'm Jim. Have you subscribed yet? Because this is the perfect week to do so. Go click that button, however you listen to this podcast. And it has been a fast and furious final week of Premier League action as the season reaches a shuddering climax. <sighs> Even with nothing to play for, there has been no shortage of action at Everton Football Club as football manager comes scary underworld boss Ronald Koeman has slapped an ultimatum on the table for want away, maybe, midfielder Ross Barkley when he said this. It's up to the player and... We need, we need next weekend. We need before next week. It's time for him to decide, to decide because uh, we need an answer. One week to sign a contract. I mean, I know footballers aren't considered the most intelligent people, but a whole week just to write your own name um, seems excessive. Uh... Right, let's get going because this week we've got all this to discuss. Football wants you to swipe right. Who, if anyone, is already on the beach? and a love affair in London. But first, dark days. At the Stadium of Light. It's going from bad to worse for Sunderland right now. One minute they're being relegated from the Premier League, and the next they're being smacked in the knackers whilst they lay crying on the floor by the booted size nines of David Moyes when he said this. We had initial discussions about uh, going forward, what we're going to do. Will you be uh, yes, uh, next season? Yes, yeah. Talk about giving them a kick in when they're down. Three more years of David Moyes at the state. Hello? What's resigned. David Moyes has resigned. Fuck's sake. I've written all this funny stuff about him staying for another three years and how Sunderland fans will have to go through hell and that little meme of him sitting in his office with I don't know what I'm doing written underneath. What am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. All right, fine. It does feel like everyone's been a little bit harsh on David Moyes recently, but obviously the pressure was just too much. Before he resigned, the Scotsman even tried to defend his honour to the Black Cats fans by pointing out that he had an excellent win record at nearly all the clubs he'd been at, suggesting his stint in the North East was merely an anomaly. <laughs> Cut! OK, everyone, let's go again. Reset. Jim can't say anomaly. Take two. Speed. And action. Suggesting that his stint in the northeast was merely an anomaly. Take three. Was merely an anomaly. Jim can't say anomaly. Take twelve. Was merely an anomaly. Take twenty-two. Was merely an anomaly. Still can't do it. Take forty-four. Merely an anomaly. Take on me. Suggesting that his stint in the northeast was an exception to the rule. Yeah. Sunderland has been a complete blip on the otherwise flawless record of Moyes. I mean, apart from real Sociedad, where his win percentage was below 30%. Oh yeah, and there was that Manchester United thing where he got sacked after 10 months and spending £66 million. But yeah, Everton, that went alright, didn't it? I mean, when you won that, you, you won the... Yeah, it, your reputation's still intact. Absolutely disgraceful. But it wasn't just David Moyes and Sunderland that we waved goodbye to this week. They slipped down to the championship alongside Middlesbrough and Hull, but they could bounce back next season. But it was White Hart Lane, the home of Tottenham Hotspurs, that will never make a return to the top flight. 
I thought West Ham made a bit of a meal of it last season when they left Upton Park for a new gaff a few miles down the road, but Spurs aren't even leaving the same postcode. The good news is, at least this time, it's not going to be costing us all an extra five quid on our tax bill. In fact, if West Ham's farewell to the ground last season was a Katie Price wedding, then Tottenham's was a Wills and Kate affair. Simple and classy. Well, I say classy, as classy as anything involving 50,000 replica football shirts and some massive flags with giant chickens on them can be. The classiest bit was no doubt the operatic performance when they hired a singer to bid farewell to their beloved ground, even if the opera singer in question was the dude with the curly moustache from the Go Compare adverts. Maybe Tottenham thought they were switching gas suppliers rather than football stadiums. Go compare! Go compare! The highlight of the send-off was actually completely unplanned, as halfway through events, the rain gave way and a rainbow stretched across the sky above the match, which no doubt had some of the shaven-headed, heavily tattooed EDL-voting men all over the ground turning to their son and heirs and saying between sobs... You see, son, you see... The heavens are shedding a tear for the lane. Even bloody God's a Spurs fan. What a sad day for religion that would be. Although, maybe God is a Tottenham fan. And all this time we've just been reading the Bible completely wrong. It's not the second coming we're supposed to be waiting for. It was coming second. Rejoice, for verily the mighty Spurs have doth fulfilled the Lord's prayer. Amen. And so it came to pass. That was it the final ever game at one of England's great and dwindling old stadiums. And at least that's one final that Spurs managed to get to this season. Now with the bigger stadium in the pipeline, they can focus on growing their fan base at home and abroad, like in the lucrative Far Eastern market, as this clip from China proves. You you like football, yeah? Yeah. Premiership? Yes. Premiership premiership teams, do do you know? Uh, Man United. Yeah. Chelsea. Yeah. West Ham, yeah, Liverpool, no, yeah, yeah. Man City. Yeah, quite a few. Do, do, you, know, uh, do you know Tottenham? What? Top, Tottenham Hotspur. Topspur? No, no. What's that? <laughs> well, always look at that for the year after, yeah? Do you remember when Chelsea won the Europa League and John Terry, who was banned for that game, changed into his full football kit pulled on his captain's armband and elbowed his teammates out the way to hold aloft the trophy as if he had personally scored a hat-trick, managed the team and cooked the half-time pies. That left me in little doubt that the Chelsea captain enjoys a little bit of the limelight, but it was hard to see how a man who'd made just eight appearances for his team this season and played little more than 20 minutes since January was going to claim Chelsea's title victory as his own. But somehow, he managed it. The Blues' final game of the season against Sunderland could have been their crowning glory of a championship-winning season. The final game of a hard-fought campaign. But the scene had already been set that week for the glory to share the stage with Terry's final appearance as a Chelsea player and an emotional goodbye. Hang on, didn't we do this about 12 months ago. You know, when John Terry was supposed to leave Chelsea the first time. I want to be here for for the rest of my career. I want to finish my career here. So I want to stay. The club know that. The fans know that. Anyway, instead of the final week of the football season and the final weekend being all about the success of Conte's team, 
it became about the future of John Terry. Will he retire? Will he play on? Does anyone care? Well, apparently I do, and so does everyone else, especially Danny Murphy, who sounded like he signed a deal to promote travel lodges when he made this rather bizarre analogy. All I said to him was that you might be a little bit shocked and surprised that, that sometimes the players around you aren't quite... I mean, Mark, we took earlier, used an analogy like five-star hotel and then going to a, you know, a three-star or even a two-star at times. How does that work then, Danny? In Chelsea, do you get a nice dressing gown in your room and no one really minds if you take home the complimentary slippers, whereas if you're playing for West Brom, you don't get any Wi-Fi and you take your life into your own hands if you have a crack at a cooked breakfast. <laughs> if there's anyone who doesn't need advice on hotels, it's John Terry. He knows the difference between the two. Five stars when you fancy a weekend away with the wife, three stars when you want a weekend away with someone else's wife. <sighs> Simple. But even in my wildest cynical dreams, I couldn't have dreamt up JT's final moments in a Chelsea shirt. On the 26th minute of Chelsea's game against Sunderland, a game of professional football, a game of professional football which members of the public had paid to attend, the ball was kicked out of play to allow JT to be substituted and leave the pitch with a guard of honour from both teams. Not because he was injured, not because it was tactics, but because he wears the number 26 shirt and he wanted one last moment of undiluted fan adulation before he said goodbye. Choosing that over playing a final full game for Chelsea. Compare that, if you will, to Wayne Rooney, who has undoubtedly played his last game for Manchester United at Old Trafford this weekend. With just two minutes left of the game, Rooney was substituted. He waved to the four corners of Old Trafford that were singing his name and he left. Simple, classy. Mind you, he'd already laid the groundwork for not stealing the limelight by being totally anonymous for the 88 minutes preceding that. The most amazing thing about the Terry substitution was that it wasn't some ill-thought-out idea from a PR manager or an image consultant. It came straight from the brain of Tezza himself. John Terry coming off 26 minutes in. He had that guard of honour given to him as well by his teammates. We're told that it was John Terry's brainchild. He spoke to Antonio Conte about it and they decided to go ahead with it. We knew that it was arranged, but apparently it was John Terry who arranged it. It wouldn't have been a more overstated moment if a flying saucer had landed in the centre of the pitch and carried him back to his home planet. Still, going off the pitch when you're 1-0 down to maybe the worst Sunderland team in living memory, it's how John would have wanted to be remembered. Wayne Bridge must be pissing himself. <laughs> but what now? What for the future of John Terry? Well, when you talk about John Terry, one man is never far away. Harry Redknapp. We well documented Harry's love for Tezza, and Redknapp could hardly keep little Harry in his trousers when he gave this interview to Talk Sport. I wouldn't put it by you to attempt to bring in John Terry. Would I be right? <laughs> that would be a dream, yeah. But this was no ordinary Redknapp being a fan of Terry interview. This was a full-on man love Redknapp being a fan of Terry interview. Oh, listen, I love John, don't I? I'm a great fan of his. You know, he would be fantastic. Well, you know, that, that would be a dream to sign John Terry. You've got a leader. What, what a man. You know, I think he's fantastic. Yeah, that's a, that's a dream. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Sweet Jesus. Harry is just one step away from waiting outside Terry's house with a bunch of flowers and a bottle of something nice. You know, like Rehypnol. But it wouldn't matter anyway. Even if Harry did turn up, Terry would have already left 15 minutes earlier for the local Ibis and a night with Redknapp's wife. 
Sometimes football news shocks you to your very core. I remember last week when Zlatan Ibrahimovic's agent said that his client's knee had impressed surgeons so much when they operated on him that they wanted to use him for medical research. I mean, that just makes sense to me. If Zlatan was going to have any knees at all, it follows that Zlatan would have the greatest knees ever. But it turns out it was all bollocks. This week, the surgeon who carried out the work spoke up when he said, Well, yes, Zlatan has a very good bone structure and his knee is absolutely in good condition. However, it's an exaggeration to say it'll be a research object. I know, just when you think you've found a money-obsessed, crafty, conniving super agent you can really trust, they let you down. So it looks like Ebro will just have to recover from his injury like a normal person, or as close to a normal person that Zlatan gets. And I wish him well. A double cruciate rupture is a tough injury to come back from, and every player has to deal with it in his own way. Over in Italy, Napoli's Arek Milik is recovering from a similar ACL injury, and the club are trying to use Tinder to keep the striker's end up, if you excuse the expression. Having signed the Hookup app as the official online shagging partner of this Syria club, they're encouraging fans to swipe right on the dating app in order to send the player get well soon messages. This does not bode well. Encouraging footballers to interact with fans on Tinder and not expect the worst to happen is like putting Donald Trump in a cattery and not expecting him to grab a pussy. Anyway, the upshot is that in two weeks' time, Milik will pick his favourite interactions and invite the fans in question to interact with him in person. Is that what the kids are calling it nowadays? Interaction? Hmm? So how does Milik feel about being the piece of meat at the centre of Napoli's sexy plans? Unsurprisingly, he's not bothered at all. I'm really proud to be part of this unique and innovative initiative with Tinder. It's really amazing to be able to interact with fans directly. I bet it is. Whatever happens to an in-store autograph signing or an open training session, eh? Or just meeting a fan in person, giving him your number and getting him to come round while your kids are with the nanny and your wife's out. Maybe I'm just judging Italian football by English standards. Over here, you only have to dunk a footballer in a dubious nightclub and instantly he's swarmed by thousands of stiletto-wearing wannabe wags in seconds. Perhaps we could learn a thing or two from our open-minded European neighbours and solve a few of the quite serious issues over here with their out-of-the-box thinking. Take, for example, Greg Clark. The FA chairman has been saying this week that he is struggling to engage with homosexual men in football. Look, mate, if you're struggling to speak to gay men, then maybe you're just not going to the right nightclubs. Let's follow the Italian's lead. Let's get Greg Clark signed up to Grinder. I'm sure he will be engaging with other men in no time. And finally, despite my unwavering belief that Arsenal would fulfil their destiny and take their traditional fourth place in the Premier League, it didn't happen. City and Liverpool nabbed the final Champions League spots, leaving Arsenal in fifth and leaving me not knowing what to believe anymore. Clearly, this is a sign that the end of the world is coming. But whose fault is it? Is it Arsenal's for giving away some easy victories back in August? And November? And February? Of course not! Not according to Arsene Wenger anyway. When you're manager, you want your team to give absolutely its best until the last second... uh, Some teams turn up, some teams are on holiday, uh, so you just want your team to do to do well and uh, to focus completely until the last. I think to be professional, 
Yep, it's other teams' faults for not putting in enough effort against Arsenal's fourth-place opposition. Clearly, that swipe was aimed at West Ham after they rolled over and had their belly tickled by Liverpool last week. But if Wenger thinks that that was the Londoners being on the beach ahead of a summer break, he clearly hasn't been watching West Ham play this season. They're not just on the beach. They've had their towels on the sun loungers since Christmas and are on first-name terms with the guy who runs the bar by now. It was actually David Moyes rather than anyone at West Ham who took exception to the statement, with Moyes showing exactly the kind of fight that Sunderland haven't shown at all this season, when he said Wenger's comments were an insult to football. Look, Arson, you don't want to mess with Dave. I hear he's got a bit of a temper. Just watch yourself and you may get a slap even though you're a woman. I'm sure Moyes would have a thing or two to say about another insult to football too this week after John Cross from the Mirror called Watford boss Walter Mazzari an insult to the Premier League for not bothering to learn English in the nine months he has spent in this country. It's just the kind of little Englander mentality that makes football great, isn't it? People coming over here, taking our jobs, not learning our language. To be honest, if I was Mazzari, I'm not sure I'd invest too much time learning a new language either if I had the full knowledge from day one that I was going to be sacked at the end of the season. But I get John Cross's point. You'd never catch a British manager going abroad and not bothering to learn the language, would you, David? They have been training with me, dodge stress quattro times. Right, that's it. Thank you for listening to another episode of On The Left Side. Make sure you've subscribed this week more than any other so you can keep up with the football funny running right the way through the summer. Huzzah! I'm off to buy a new hat for the forthcoming Redknapp Terry wedding because that's full time. Bye! Or should that be adios? Or au revoir? Or I don't know any other foreign languages. Bye! You see, son, you see, on the left side is bloody written by Ant McGinley and that beautiful Jim Salverson. <sighs> this week's show is produced by Lucy Lavery. Not lovely, Lavery. <laughs> <laughs>